Well, good morning, Victory Church. If you're excited to be in the place, open up your mouth and say so. <laughs> Man, I am thrilled to be here. We have friends joining us all the way from Jamaica, Nigeria, and Puerto Rico. Come on, y'all make some noise. Wepa. <laughs> um, I am so excited to be here, y'all. Can I just say we made it? We made it. We here. And uh, I'm just going to dive right in. I have a lot of content, and I hope you're taking notes today. And I want to start by making a statement. And when I make this statement, if you would agree and say that is true, I need y'all to talk to me. Here it is. You ready? Here's the statement. It's challenging. Someone said, oh, my God. Life is challenging. And life is challenging in different ways in different seasons. I mean, life is challenging as a teenager. Do I have any teenagers that would make some noise like you would agree? <laughs> life is challenging. Y'all be going through some stuff. And, and, and it's challenging raising a teenager. Can I just say, uh, it's also challenging in the season of singleness. Come on, all my single people make some noise. Just hold on, boo-boo. It's okay. This might be a year. This might be a year. He's working on Boaz. He's, he's working on him. He's getting him ready for you. <laughs> hey, don't make too much noise for this one, but sometimes marriage can be challenging. Hey, I better watch it. <laughs> Not for real, but, but I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know of a season that is more challenging, at least for me personally, parenting. It's challenging. Now, it's different. It, these, ki these, these Gen Z kids are built different. Right now, the current struggle my wife and I are going through right now is with our youngest one, with Lion, trying to get him to transition from kid's toothpaste to adult toothpaste. Now, y'all laughing because you feel like that's petty, but no, it's a struggle. It's a struggle. Just the other day, he said, Daddy, is too spicy. Say, son, your breath is too spicy. <laughs> well, I don't want too much. Say, son, your breath is too much. Get this Colgate and let's go. <laughs> Put on a Colgate smile and let's keep it moving. Life is challenging, y'all. It really is. But what I've discovered is that through the ups and downs of this journey that we call life, there's a couple things that don't change. Come on, how many of you are thankful today that Jesus does not change? Right? God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. But can I tell you, another thing that doesn't quite change is time. Time is unique. Time is intriguing. It's a great mystery that no man nor any woman has ever been able to conquer. I heard this quote one time that said, time is free, but time is also priceless. Time, you can't really own it but you can definitely use it. You can't keep time, but you can definitely spend it. But once you've lost it, you can never get it back. Time doesn't wait for anyone. You see, the thing about time is that when time is well-managed, it will propel you into your purpose. But time mismanaged will delay you reaching your destiny. But I'm very thankful that we serve a God who in his infinite wisdom and kindness knew that the burden of time, we could not manage it in our own strength. So he gave us a gift within the construct of time that we call 
seasons. Seasons. And in fact, Genesis 8 verse 22 says this, that as long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. You see, if time were like this endless book that knew no beginning or no end, seasons would be the chapters in between that signify the closing of one era and the beginning of a new one. And again, like I spoke to just a moment ago, how many of you know that every season comes with its own set of unique nuances and challenges? No season is alike. And I love this passage in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's one of the most quoted, most well-known passages in the Bible concerning seasons. And I want to read it. It's a little lengthy. Can we, can we get into the word of God today? So in, in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, here's what it says. King Solomon wrote these words. He said that for everything there is a season. There is a time for every activity under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. There's a time to plant and a time to harvest. A time to kill and a time to heal. There's a time to tear down and a time to build up. A time to cry and a time to laugh. There's a time to grieve and there's a time to dance. There's a time to scatter stones and then there's a time to gather stones. There's a time to embrace and a time to turn away. A time to search and a time to quit searching. A time to keep and there's a time to throw away. There's a time to tear and there's also a time to mend. There's a time to be quiet. I'm not too good at that one. (laughs) And there's a time to speak. There's a time to love and a time to hate. There's a time for war and there is a time for peace. Now we all know that some seasons are calculated and predictable. For example, here we are, December 31st, 2023, and we're about to step into a new season. It's a calculated, um, expected transition into something new. But how many of you know that there are some seasons of this journey that we'll step into that are completely abrupt and unprecedented? Come on, there are some seasons you can plan for, and then there are some seasons that no matter how much planning you do, you will never be fully prepared for what you're about to step into. And one thing I know to be true, two things I know to be true is this. Number one, time ain't stopping for nobody, and seasons are inevitable. It's inevitable. In fact, those of you who are here right now, here we are again, right here on the cusp of a new year. If you're watching this online, it may be weeks, months, maybe even years from this very moment that we're gathered in this room, and you may be right there upon the threshold of a new season yourself. And it looks different for each and every one of us. And again, no season is alike for anyone. But I know this to be true, that the way we transition out of the previous season will greatly determine how we step into the next one. And I know also that the decisions we make today will shape the world that we live in tomorrow. Can I get an amen from someone in this place? So therefore, with that in mind, we've been in this series called the Sermon on the Mount all this, all this year. And it's been an incredible series. If you're new in the room or if you're new online, I encourage you to go back and check out this series. It's been amazing hearing straight from the mouth and the heart of Jesus, all red letter, him admonishing, exhorting, and instructing us on how we should live our lives in a way 
that whenever the storms of this life come, we will be left, what? Standing. Because our house will be built upon the rock. So here's the big question. How do we take months of revelation and bring it to a moment of practical application that will empower us to overcome the tribulation that we may face in this next season? Come on, look at your neighbor and say, how do we do that? I don't know why that neighbor looked at you that way. How many times are we going to do this, Victory? Like, come on. You got to be nice. Look at your other neighbor. Say, other neighbor. Say, how are we going to do that? And tell them, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Oh. How are we going to take the Sermon on the Mount and all the teaching that, God, that Jesus gave us and apply it in practical ways as we step into this next year? Here's what I believe. If I could boil it down, I would say this. We have to grow in the art of discernment and knowing how to discern the times. We've got to learn how to discern. Jesus said it like this in the gospel according to Luke chapter 12. Jesus turned to the crowd and he said, when you see the clouds beginning to form in the west, you say, well, here comes a shower. And guess what? You're right. And when the south wind blows, you say, well, today will be a scorcher. And guess what? It is. But he goes on to say, but you fools, you know how to interpret the weather signs of the earth and sky, but you don't know how to interpret the present times. Daniel wrote these words in the book that bears his name, chapter 2, verse 20. He said, praise be to the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He disposes kings and he raises up others. But watch this. And he gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to who? To the discerning. And what I've discovered is that as I've lived this, these 39 years on this earth, I've discovered that with every season and every transition and every new frontier that I've stepped into, there have been three truths that have been applicable to every new season. And today I want to share those with you. Because it doesn't matter, again, who you are, what you believe, what you're stepping out of, what you're stepping into. If you all will rock with me for the next few minutes, I want to pull these three truths out of one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It's found in 2 Kings chapter 4. That's right. We're going to the Old Testament, boo-boo. 2 Kings chapter 4. And we find in this passage, we find this great prophet by the name of Elisha. And Elisha was a man of God who had been mentored by another great man of God by the name of Elijah. Now, Elisha was traveling about his ministerial duties, and he came across a widow who was literally right on the brink of stepping into a new season that was daunting and full of fear and uncertainty. And we get the privilege to peer in into this epic moment. So here's what happens in verse 1 of 2 Kings chapter 4, it says that the wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha. She said, your servant, who is my husband, is now dead. And you know that he revered the Lord. But now the creditor is coming to take my boys as his slaves. And Elisha replied to her, how can I help? Tell me, what do you have in your house? And her response was simply this, 
Your servant has nothing there at all. But then she paused and she said, except for a small jar of olive oil. If you're taking notes today, you may want to title this message, The Miracle in the Margin. The Miracle in the Margin. Here's what I know about every new season. With every new season comes new vulnerabilities. With every new, I don't care how great the season may be. Come on, it may be a new job, a promotion, but guess what? That promotion is going to come with new challenges. And I want y'all to notice something very, very uh, profound that I don't even think I noticed when I read this scripture in the past, Pastor Todd. But I, I noticed in, in verse one, this man, the the widower, he is noted as being a man who was a part who was from the company of the prophets. Did y'all catch that? Another translation describes him as a member of the group of prophets who greatly feared the Lord. So this widow, her her late husband was a man of God. He was a prophet. He was a part of the prophets. He actually knew Elisha. And he feared God. And yet, here his wife was. Godly husband passed away. No money left for her and the boys. They're now in gross debt, and she's about to lose her two sons to slavery to pay off the debt. This woman is now facing the storm of her life. Can I tell you something? As you step into 2024, you better do so with the understanding that the enemy is an equal opportunity offender. Listen, that brother does not discriminate. Like, I'm serious. He's like Michael Jackson. It don't matter if you're black or white. He, he. <laughs> like, for real. The devil don't care. He don't care if you're Democrat, if you're Republican. You can be righteous or ratchet. You can be holy or hood. Or a little bit of both. Some of y'all in here a little bit of both, but it's okay. Right? He does not care. He is an equal opportunity offender. And in this next season, you better know that he's going to come at your neck. And let me just say this. While he is an equal opportunity offender, you also better believe that if you just so happen to be a disciple of Jesus, boo-boo, I'm going to tell you the truth. I ain't even going to hold you. Listen, Satan cannot stand you. He cannot stand the sight of your, are you kidding me? He looks at, he cannot stand your old blessed and highly favored looking, like. <laughs> your old saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost looking, mm. He can't stand the very side of you. Why? Because whenever Satan looks at you, yes, he may be fully aware of your flaws and your failures and the inconsistencies in your life. But when he looks at you, he also cannot deny the thumbprint of the eternal God. He sees the imago Dei upon your life. He sees the glory of the God that he knows he can never go toe to toe with. When he sees you in church or at home or in your car with your hands lifted up in worship and adoration, singing songs of praise to God, he's reminded that you now have the job that he used to have in eternity past. What? He can't stand you. And because Satan knows that he can never go toe-to-toe with the king of creation, 
What does he do? Watch me. What does he do? He then goes after those who look most like him. From the moment you were born and inhaled your first breath, listen, Satan had one job. His one job was to convince you that God is not who he says he is. Therefore, you couldn't possibly be who God says you are. His one job is to convince you that you are weak, that your life is void of purpose, that you're left to your own devices to figure this thing out. His one job is to convince you that you are the one who determines what is truth and what is false in your life. And from the moment you inhaled your first breath until the moment you <sighs> exhale your last, Satan will have been and will continue to be after your neck. And baby, that is why we have got to be a people who make no room for the enemy in our lives. That's why we have to be a people who build our house upon the rock that is higher than I. So when the offense comes, we know that this too shall pass. And that this storm will not be the end of you. The widow cries out to Elisha. She said, my husband, this great man of God, Elisha, that you know he's dead. And you know that he feared the Lord. But now a creditor has come, and they're threatening to take my two sons as slaves. See, all these bill collectors been tripping back since the Old Testament. <laughs> it ain't nothing new. Like, 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 like for real, y'all, like for real. Listen, listen we family. Like this debt thing is for real. It's rough out here. Economy crazy right now. I have a friend of mine, he, he's in some crazy debt, he, a buddy of mine. He told me last week, he said, yo, Curve, I got a meeting at the bank. And bro, if everything goes well, dude, when I walk out that door, I'm going to be 100% debt free. That's what I said. I said, for real? He said, yeah. I said, bro, that's incredible. He's like, yeah, bro. He said, man, I'm so excited. I can't get my ski mask on fast enough. It took some of y'all way too long to catch that. Some of I don't get it. <laughs> nah, but for real. And like, 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 listen, I, I, I know that we, we all hit rough patches and, you know, and I ain't gonna get into the whole debt talk because it looks different for everyone. But I know that, I know this much, if you've ever had debt collectors calling your house, blowing that phone up, Come on, somebody. That is annoying. It's frustrating. Like, it'll make you want a Christian cuss, like, for real. Right? And like, like, and, but isn't it funny, though, how we get offended at them calling us? Like, have, you, have you ever thought about it? Like, like I'm going to say something right now. It may offend some of you, but I'm just going to say it. <laughs> Chase Bank ain't the enemy. <laughs> Listen, Amazon Prime Rewards, they ain't done nothing to you, boo-boo. <laughs> right? Best Buy has not done anything to you. Right? So, like, I, I, <laughs> I empathize with this widow. I really do. But it's clearly, it's obvious, it's clearly obvious that her husband, even though he was a great man of God, 
he clearly had a problem managing his finances. You feel me? He had allowed an area in his life to become unmanageable and unattended to, so much so that his bad judgment and lack of stewardship in that season has now brought upon a storm that his family is having to walk through in this season. And again, the creditor is not the enemy. And I believe that as we step into 2024, one of the vulnerabilities that we have to be fully aware of is this. Hear me, church. Sometimes the enemy is actually the inner me. Now, I'm going to let it settle for a minute. Why? Because the Bible is clear that there is a way that seems right unto a man, but in the end, what does it do? It leads to death. And hear me today, church. I'm not just talking about finances and debt. That was just the situation in the story. But can I tell you, the same truth applies to you and I. I'm not talking about just debt that rolls over or financial burden that gets handed off. No, I'm talking about anything in our lives that we should have put to death in the last season that we allow to breed and fester in the next season God has taken us into. Come on, there are some of us here, listen, in this last season, you allowed comparison to rob you of your contentment. So maybe in this next season, you might want to consider deleting social media for a couple months. Some of you are new to the faith, right? And, 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 and you love the Lord and you're trying to figure this thing out, but man, you're still engaging in old carnal behavior. So hey, you may want to take part in this 21-day fast in January coming up. And guess what? You may want to fast once a month moving on from that, right? If you don't know how to cope in healthy ways, I'm just going to say it. You may want to think twice before you pour that drink in 2024. Come on, if you allow toxic relationships to rob you of the peace that God promised his sons and daughters, baby, it might be time to go through that phone and unfavor some people, to block some people, and to cut some people off. Because can I tell you, for some of you, where God is about to take you in this next season, you have people in your life that are not going to be able to keep up. So you got to know when they got to go. I didn't even mean to make that rhyme, but it did. We can't go into this next season blaming the enemy for everything. We, we give that joker way too much credit. It's not always the enemy. Sometimes the problem is the inner me. It's me looking in the mirror and not addressing the areas of my life that are unkept. Because here's the travesty of the whole situation. It's not even so much. The issue is not solely this widow who is feeling the weight of this financial burden. The, the, the part of the story that, that, that moves my heart and that burdens me is the fact that these are unaddressed sins of a father that are now costing his sons their freedom. You see, the third vulnerability that we have to be aware of in this next season is this, that my disobedience can affect my lineage. Come on, y'all better talk to me in this place. Listen, how I respond to God in this moment can change and affect the trajectory of my children and generations that are yet to come. And as I was preparing this thought, God gave me a specific word, and I've wrestled with them, but I'm going to share it today because I don't know who it's for. But there are some of you here in this room that you may be just like me. 
My father, before he gave his life to the Lord, was an alcoholic. My grandfather was an alcoholic on both sides. Addiction may run through your family history. There may be substance abuse, unhealthy coping that you see as a pattern, a generational pattern in your life. And rather than, than, than defining it so we can defeat it, there are some of us who just shrug it off and ignore it. And we step into 2024 still smoking, still sipping, like we got this thing all under control. And yes, Paul said that under grace, all things are permissible. But he also said, but not all things are beneficial. Not all things are beneficial. So listen to me. So I thank God for the freedom I have in Jesus. Listen, I am the most non-legalistic person you will ever meet. I am a man of grace, and I walk in grace every single day. And I thank God for the freedom I have in Christ. But can I tell you something? I'm also not ignorant to the enemy's devices. And I know the natural bents in my own life. And I know what the enemy tried to use to take me out when I was a young man in the faith. And I'm here today to say that as long as it is up to me, I decided a long time ago to cut those cycles at the throat because my children will not know the headache of a hangover. They will not know the pain of addiction. They will not know the demon of dependency. Listen, some of y'all are like, well, brother, that's your personal conviction. Well, hey, call it what it is. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Like, for real, do that. I'm all about grace and freedom in Christ and all that, but guess what? I didn't come into this thing to resuscitate generational curses. I came to put them to death. So I don't know who this is for. And it may not even be just, it may be something, it could be a, a, a myriad of things, but I felt the Lord told me to tell you simply, stop playing with your bloodline. Amen. There are things that have to go in this season so that your children will walk in freedom in the next. The widow cries out to Elisha, they're taking my sons. And Elisha asked her this question. He said, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? And I love that question because it's a reminder that with every new season comes new vulnerabilities, but also with every new season comes new opportunities. Come on, there are times in scripture and times in our own lives where God will just work a miracle, just all on his own. Come on, you, has God ever moved like that in your life? Like, he just did it on his own, by himself. He ain't need no help. Just in Scripture, he'll do it how he wants to, when he wants to. He'll use whatever he wants. But then there are just some sweet moments in Scripture where God chooses to engage man. And he extends a hand out. And he offers an invitation for us to partner with him. He allows us to activate our faith, to believe him, to partner with him in doing the miraculous. In fact, you just heard from Pastor Olin about the Christmas gift to the world. Can I tell you, it is miraculous that we have been able to raise $891,000. Come on, somebody. There are families that have been freed and generations that, have been, that will be impacted. There are communities in our region that will be reached by our new Vita campus because we collectively said, Lord, I'm going to give what little bit I have 
I'm going to partner with you. I love moments in scripture where we see God partnering with man. You know, Sarah, one of my favorite moments in scripture where we see this happening is in Exodus chapter 4, where we see Moses on Mount Sinai. Y'all know Moses. Y'all know his story. Moses, that brother, he, he was born a Hebrew. His life was in danger, so his, his mom gave him away to the Egyptian palace. But then she ended up still nursing and taking care of him and raising him. So he lived in the palace, but he was a Hebrew. He didn't quite fit in with the Egyptians, but he didn't fit in with his own people. Ended up killing an Egyptian guard because of injustice. Come on, that brother had some trauma, right? <laughs> so we find Moses. He, he, he ran away from it all, and he's at Mount Sinai. And God calls him from a burning bush. And as he's calling Moses, he gives Moses very clear instruction on what he wants him to do. He tells him, hey, you are my man for the job. Go free my people. But Moses' response blows me away. His response literally face to face with the all-powerful king of creation. And his response is, there's no way I'm your guy. There's no way. I don't, I'm not a leader. There's got to be someone else. Pharaoh's not going to listen. I, 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 I. I don't talk good. <laughs> right? He, he had a speech impediment. He, he, his immediate response to God calling him was, I'm not enough. I'm unqualified. I'm not the guy. But look at what God said to Moses. I love this. I love this, 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 this moment in this story. The Lord asked him in verse 2, Moses, what is in your hand? And he replied, a shepherd's staff. And Moses, for, oh, and, and, and God said, okay, throw it down on the ground. So Moses threw down the staff, and it turned into a snake. And Moses jumped back. Ah! <laughs> then the Lord told him, now reach out and grab its tail. Skirt, pause. <laughs> I don't know if y'all read the Bible like I read it. Because <laughs> I'm like ADD, HD. I read that, and, and I, I stopped, and I thought to myself, well, that's how we know Moses was not a brother. Because <laughs> a brother ain't picking up no snake. Have you lost your mind? Anyways. So Moses reached out, and he grabbed it, and it turned back into a shepherd's staff in his hand. Now, you might say, Pastor Kerber, what does that have to do with anything? Oh, it has everything to do with everything. See, this staff was a shepherd's rod. It's what he used every day to herd sheep. You see, in that culture and in that hour in history, uh, shepherding was, was the, one of the lowest occupations. So I would imagine as he's in the field with sheep excrement on his robe, as he's herding the sheep, I would imagine, again, just considering the, 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 the psyche dynamic and the mental um, thought process. I would imagine Moses would walk around with that staff thinking of how far he had fallen from the palaces in Egypt. I would imagine that that staff was a reminder of his failure. The Bible also tells us that Moses was 80 years old, Miss Debbie, 80 years old in this passage. So the staff was used, I'm sure, to aid him in his walking as he was getting up in age. So in some ways, this staff probably also reminded him of his humanity, his frailty. 
his brokenness. But isn't it amazing how something miraculous just happens whenever we take that that is natural and place it in the hands of a supernatural God? Isn't it amazing? Because this same staff that probably reminded Moses of his brokenness, his humanity, his frailty, his failure, with just one moment, with just one encounter with the God of creation, that staff became the tool of deliverance. It became the instrument of freedom that God would use to bring plagues upon the enemies of his people. It became the instrument of deliverance that Moses would use to split the Red Sea, to strike and to bring water from a rock. It was the very instrument ultimately that Moses would use to free an entire nation of people out of captivity into the promises of God. What is in your hand? Can I tell you, as you step into this next season, there will be some vulnerabilities. There will be storms that will come in challenges that you will have to face. But can I tell you, we can't step into this year afraid of the boogeyman around the corner. No, boo-boo. We got to step into the season knowing that there are also opportunities for us to partner with God to watch him do miraculous and marvelous works in our lives and in the world around us. Come on, do you have faith for it, church? Come on, I believe that in this season, there's going to be opportunities for some of you to step out in new faith, to maybe share your testimony with someone for the first time, to invite someone to church for the first time. I believe that there's faith and an opportunity in this next season for some of you to become more generous to, to, to give, to support the, the mission of God in the earth and then to sit back and watch God be faithful to his promise to bless you beyond what you can even contain. I believe that there's going to be opportunity for you to mend relationships that seem like they could never be mended. There's going to be moments in this next year where spiritual gifts will be activated in your lives. I believe that some of you will prophesy the word of the Lord. I believe that some of you will give words of wisdom and words of knowledge. There are some of you that fear is going to be eradicated by a radical faith. You're going to lay hands on the sick and you're going to see them be recovered in the name of Jesus in this new year. Come on. Does anyone have faith for the opportunities that God has for you in this new season? Listen to me. There's going to be moments where God is going to extend his hand. And give you an invitation to join him on this wild, beautiful, crazy, spirit-led, faith-filled, fulfilling adventure that we call life fully alive. Come on. Young people sometimes will say, man, being a Christian is too hard. It's boring. Well, I don't know what Jesus you're serving. I haven't had one boring day walking with the Lord. Come on, it's full of adventure. Come on, when God says go, we go. When he says move, we move. When he says give, we give, right? But the question you got to ask yourself today is, when God extends his hand and the invitation is in front of you, how are you going to respond in this next season? Will you respond like Moses and say, well, 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 God, I don't think I have what it takes. My schedule, I'm busy, and I got this, I got that, I got all these priorities. I don't know enough. Well, will you respond like the widow? And I love the widow because 
She didn't allow the pain of her past nor the fear of the future to rob her of the purpose that was in the present. Come on, will you respond like the widow who said, I don't have much, but I do have this little bit of jar with this little bit of oil. And if you can do something with that, let's go. Elisha said, okay. Well, here's what I want you to do. He said, I want you to go around and ask all of your neighbors for empty jars. And don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Who there's so much truth in this story. And then he said, and I want you to pour oil into all the jars. And as each one is filled, put it to one side. Which brings us to the final truth that I believe rings true for every season of transition. Every new season comes with new vulnerabilities, new opportunities, but also new responsibilities. You see, the vulnerability in her situation brought this widow to a moment of opportunity to trust God and to partner with him by bringing the little bit that she had. Come on, I believe the oil in that little jar that she had represented the little bit of faith she had for a miracle. You know, the Bible says that unto every man is given what? A measure of faith. But in taking advantage of the opportunity, guess what? She then had a responsibility to do what God instructed her to do. Because why? Because it's not enough to just be a hearer of the word. Come on, somebody, we have to be doers of the word. James 2.26, it says this. It says, just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. So like this widow, if you want to overcome the vulnerabilities ahead of you, then you're going to do so by taking advantage of the opportunities in front of you. Understanding that it's going to require a level of responsibility and action on our part. So here's a few responsibilities that I feel are glaring at us from this story that we could apply this next season. Again, this is very practical. This is taking it here, bringing it here. Number one, in this next season, we have to be intentional about our coverage. Now you might say, what are you talking about coverage? Well, again, practically speaking, this entire debacle really is rooted in the fact that this guy, even though he was a great man of God and he was a prophet and he was a spiritual leader, guess what? At the end of the day, he did not know how to manage his money. And he probably made some foolish financial decisions that ultimately left his family in great debt upon his passing, right? So we know that in this next season, we have to do whatever we can in our strength to, I like this word, to safeguard our lives in practical ways. So let me give you just a few. This isn't an exhaustive list, but number one, life insurance. Like if you're a young adult in here, I know you're not thinking about life insurance, but guess what? You need to be thinking about life insurance. You need to be, in fact, my wife and I, we won't officiate a wedding for anyone if they haven't gone through premarital counseling with us and if they haven't set up life insurance. Two, prerequis two prerequisites right off the top. It's important to think about these things. And also speaking of marriage, come on, if you're already booed up and if marriage is in the conversation, why are you not in premarital counseling? <laughs> come on, you need to get on it. And if you're already married, if you've been married for five months or 50 years, can I tell you, you still need to be in counseling. 
In fact, you probably need more counseling than those who need a premarital counseling. My wife and I just celebrated 18 years. 18 years. What? 18 years of shenanigans. And guess what? Every month, we sit down with our counselors and we bear our soul. We're not above anything. So these are practical ways that we can safeguard our, our lives, our marriages, our hearts. Listen, we have an incredible marriage ministry that a lot of us don't take advantage of. I meet married couples all the time that are new to victory, and they always say the same thing. I'm just trying to find community. Baby, the community is here. In fact, as you leave today, go to One Step. We have some of our marriage ministry leaders there. They would love to get you set up and connected with other families. Listen, but not just that, but like also budget coaching. We have that. We have coaches here that can help you financially create a budget. I don't know about y'all, but when I grew up, I didn't really learn a whole lot about managing budgets. It's something I've had to learn on my own in my adulthood. And here's another one that's very, very dear to me and my wife, therapy and counseling. Come on, that is a way. You can put your hands together. Come on, therapy and Jesus. Come on, as a dynamic duo. Seriously, listen, the Bible tells us there's wisdom in a multitude of counsel, and there's something powerful about getting in front of someone who can help you process trauma, especially if they're spirit-filled and a Bible-believing child of God. Amen. Here's a second responsibility we have. We need to be consistent in our communion. You see, in verse 4, there's also something that kind of baffled me when I, when I was studying this story. In verse 4, Elisha told the widow to go inside a room with her boys and to close the door behind them. And I, I prayed, I asked God, what was, what was that all about? It's so random. How many of you know there is nothing random in the word of God? You see, I believe I believe that what God was trying to say to this sweet lady in the middle of her anxiety was to say, baby, this miracle that I'm about to do for you, it's not just for show. This is for you and for your sons to see the goodness of God, for you to know and to be reminded that I am Jehovah Jireh. I am the God. I imagine her looking at her sons and saying, baby, sit back because you're about to watch God undo the curse that your father just put upon us. We're about to undo this thing right here with no one around, no one to watch, no one to applaud. You see, there was a level of intimacy that paved way for the impossible. And the truth is, a lot of miracles that we see in public spaces are actually birthed in prayer in private places. Like, I'm serious. Like, every Sunday we show up to church and we have healing and deliverance and powerful encounters with the Lord. Aren't y'all thankful for these services every... I, I, I thank God for a church that is spirit-filled. Well, guess what? Listen, all, a lot of the breakthrough that we experience in this moment has been prayed for and fought for Saturday morning at 8 a.m. during our corporate prayer. Right? So we thank God for those people. And guess what? You can be a part. You can join us. We're here every Saturday at 8 a.m. But seriously, what I'm saying is this. What would happen if in this next year, if we really just slowed down and if we shut out the noise and if we just simply prioritized making room for God 
speak to our hearts. To reveal in us the things that are not like him. Because I know what the Bible says, James says, that if we draw near to God, what will he do? Come on, he will draw near to us. And I know this to be true. I know that, 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 that in his presence, there is liberty. And I know that in his presence, there's also fullness of joy. And I don't know what you've been through this year, but I know in 2024, baby, I need all the joy that I can get. Come on, is there anyone? You say, I need joy. Well, you find it in his presence. Here's the last vulnerability. I'm sorry. Here's the last responsibility that we have today. We need to be ever increasing in our capacity. And when I say capacity, a lot of us in, this, in our Western world, we think, oh, well, that means I need to strengthen my capacity to do more. But no. You see, that's the problem with many of us in our journey with Jesus. We think our walk with the Lord is all about what we can do when really it should be about simply who he is and who we are in light of that. You see, it's not random. It's, it's not a random coincidence. Stick with me for a moment. I'm almost done. It's not a random co co coincidence that Elisha told this widow to go to her friends to grab empty jars. Did you notice that? He didn't just say, go to your friends and grab as many jars as you can. He said, go to your friends and collect as many empty jars as you can. And then he said to her, the one jar that you do have that does have oil in it, I need you to empty that out. Now, I don't know about you, but in my house, if I have something of value, I, like, so me, I love cologne. I love fragrance. That's, that is my number one thing. I don't waste money on clothes and shoes and this food and fragrance. That's it, baby. <laughs> I love cologne. I do. And whenever my cologne is getting down to the last bit, come on, I, I'm not quick to just, 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 just waste it. Oh, I'm going to stretch that thing out. I'm going to stretch that out. Right? I'm not quick. When I get down to the very last drop of, I'm, I'm, I'm going to spread it out. So I imagine this woman in that moment is standing with her jar with that little bit of oil. That's all she has left. And she's standing in the middle of all of these containers with open capacity probably large basins that are about four feet tall. Some of them are probably, probably little buckets you could hold in your hand. She may even have little cups around. I don't know. Surrounded by capacity with the little bit of faith that she had. Empty, empty, empty. And yet you want me to empty out what I have? Listen, I believe God wants to remind us in this next season that he will not fill that which is already full. No, no, no. He won't fill that that is already full. Why? Because he's a jealous God. He's jealous for the affection of your heart. We ask God to pour out your blessing. Give me more. I need favor. I need this. I need that. But we're not even giving him room to work with anything. Don't get it twisted, my friend. God is not going to share the throne of your heart with anything other than himself. There is nothing that, that, that he will submit to, that he will sit beside, that he will just somehow work alongside. No. We've got to empty ourselves before him. 
And I put myself in this widow's shoes, standing in this room full of capacity, open capacity, open margin that seems like a bunch of lack. And she begins to pour. I don't know if you've heard the story before, but she begins to pour the oil in obedience. And as she pours the oil, the Bible says that the oil continues to pour and it continues to pour. And that first jar gets filled to the brim. She looks to her son. She says, son, bring me another jar. He brings another one and the oil continues to pour and it continues to pour she says son bring me another one and another one and she begins pouring and pouring and I would imagine in that moment she probably had the revelation to say wow who would have thought that what I considered to be not enough was actually a setup for the God that is more than enough what I thought was a breakthrough was actually preparation for a breakthrough what I thought was a sacrifice was actually just seed to sow into the soil. I don't really understand it. The math ain't really mathing, but as long as this oil is going to continue pouring, baby, I'm going to continue letting it flow. Why? Because when I feel weak, it is in that moment where the power of God is made strong. In this new season where you don't have faith, God is faithful to arise as the faithful one to meet you where you are. When we make room for him, when we make margin for him, he will put the miracle in Inside of the margin. Come on, there is miracle inside of the margin. Stand up on your feet and all over this place. I want you to lift your hands. And if you're here today, and if you would say in this next season, I want everything God has for me. Whatever I've got to pour out, whatever I need to empty out before him, I'm going to do it right here and right now. If that's you, I want you to get out of your seat. I want you to come to the front, and we're going to worship God as we go into this next year, believing him for a miracle. Come on, move out of your seat if that's you. Come on, lift your hands and worship. Say.